0: Christmas Cadbury is delivering joy every week keep an eye out for our special joy deliveries no don't worry it isn't Christmas yet we're not quite there it is only September Uh, but isn't that an interesting idea that that joy can be delivered in a chocolate Uh, who likes Cadbury's chocolate who doesn't like cabbage chocolate? There we go. There's a few hands. Yeah. Okay. The, the reality that chocolate could bring joy, I mean, I okay, guess so maybe there's a sense of it brings happiness. Maybe there's a sense of that it's okay. Uh, but, the, but the idea that all you need to feel joy is chocolate. Now, some of you might be saying, amen, preach it. Okay. I'm probably not speaking to the right people in that case. It's probably not going to be delivered to you in a little window. It's probably not the sort of thing that's going to come with reindeer. Uh. Santa is not going to bring you joy. Sorry, kids who might you know, hear that. But joy is so much deeper. And there's a whole lot more to understanding what joy actually is. So we're starting a new series today. It's going to go throughout the month of September. And it's looking through the book of Philippians. Philippians is one of those really good books for preachers because there's four chapters And most months have four weeks. And so you can pick a chapter and do it each week and it sorts itself out for you. It's great. Uh, Then sometimes those authors do pesky things where ideas sort of flow into the next chapter. But, you know, we'll just avoid that and just go from it here. Uh, But really wanting to look through Philippians and look at joy. But this may not be the kind of joy that you necessarily think of or associate with the word. It's biblical joy. It's an understanding of what the Bible actually says is where does joy actually come from? Not some flippant happiness or just some sort of sense of everything's great. I'm joyous right now. It's a deeper joy. And in particular today, we're looking at a joy that's kind of irrespective of what circumstances you might find yourself in. Uh, The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines joy as this. The emotion evoked by well-being, success or good fortune or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. And it's that last bit of this definition that I actually want us to really hone in on over this next month because it's actually the part of joy which is most relevant to the biblical understanding of joy, to, to what the Bible actually talks about as being the heart of joy and where joy comes from. What do you desire? And how is seeking those desires the thing that leads to your joy? How can we be very, very clear in our own hearts and minds about what it is that we're living for and how that thing is kind of the thing that decides whether we experience joy or not? So how is it that desire influences our experience of joy how is it that that's an important aspect that's what we're going to look at across the next month Uh, can we experience joy despite circumstances Uh, the the joy the world kind of talks about is is that kind of almost over exuberant happiness that it's like yeah it's great and then things go wrong in your life you know people have things go wrong everyone here's like "No, no nothing ever goes wrong and so when things go wrong you can't feel joy don't actually think that's what the Bible teaches. So what is this joy that we can experience despite what might be going on around us? What is the framework that can give us that strength and that sense of support, even though things that might be happening around us aren't as we'd like them to be? And how do we grow our capacity to experience joy? Is it completely dependent on others or or is there actually something we can do ourselves to help set ourselves up to experience joy, whether or not the circumstances around us change? A little bit of context of the book of Philippians. It's helpful to kind of know what was going on and sort of where it found itself. Uh, So Philippians, well, Philippi, as it was the place, uh, was a Roman colony in what was called Macedonia, but what is now northern Greece. So it's sort of right up there you can see in the red. On the very far left is Italy. On the very far right is Turkey. And then sort of sort of in the middle there, just below Bulgaria, uh, is where Philippi was, slash what is kind of Philippi now, is now. The primary language was Greek, uh, so it wasn't a Hebrew-speaking area. It wasn't predominantly Jewish people. It was predominantly Gentiles. And the church in Philippi, you can actually see the birth story of the church in Philippi. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 16. So for feel free to, during this month, go back and just read Acts 16. So, For one of your days of Bible reading this month, or maybe two or three, depending on how you read the Bible, just read through Acts 16. It tells the story of how this church was formed. Uh, basically, firstly what happens is Paul, Timothy and Silas, uh, they traveled to Philippi. And they went looking for a place to pray because that was their practice. Their practice was whenever they arrived somewhere, they would go and look for a Jewish synagogue or a, or a place to pray, and not ever had Jewish synagogue, So they were looking for a place to pray. And in the process, they came across some women. Uh, one of those women was called Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. Now there's a lot of conjecture about what that means. Was she a well-off person? Was she a slave? But the reality is uh, she seemed to be well to do. And she was the head of her household, which was odd in that time period. But what happens is Lydia actually comes to believe in the message of Jesus. That because of what Paul, Timothy and Silas share, she comes to believe the story of Jesus. And as was the practice in that time, when the head of the household came to faith, everybody followed suit. It wasn't really an individual experience. As a family unit... You actually operated together. So that includes down to servants. It was everyone who was in the household. And so Lydia comes to believe, the people come to believe, they're all baptized and they all come to follow Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. What happens next is Paul and his traveling companions are actually arrested. Uh, Very common in the time and in fact we're going to be talking a bit more about this today. So they're arrested, they're, they're put under uh, house arrest or they're imprisoned in some way and there's different ways this could play out. In this case, they had a jailer and a miraculous encounter occurs. You can read about it when you do that as part of your Bible reading this month. Uh, and actually, the jailer was saved because of that encounter. Uh, basically, Paul and the, the doors blast open, they can leave but they don't. The jailer's about to kill himself because he would be killed if it was found that he'd let the people get away. And Paul says, don't do that. Let me tell you about the person of Jesus. And so the jailer and his household, see? Very, very common thread. The jailer and his household are all baptized. And so begins the church of Philippi. And so Paul, Timothy and Silas, they all travel away. And it comes to a point in time where Paul feels the need to write a letter back to the church of Philippi, to the Philippians, as a letter of encouragement as they go about being the church in that area. So we're going to pick it up. Guess where? Philippians chapter 1. That's right. So i love you to join with me. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to pick it up by looking at verses 3 through to 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to glory and praise of God. A bit of an intro statement, a general, hey, this is what's going on. But one of the things that really stands out is the sense of joy that Paul has. He says that I always pray with joy when I think of you. Why? Because it is so clear that you are partnered in the gospel with me. That all the word and all the knowledge that gets back to me about what's going on in Philippi, it fills me with encouragement. It fills me with joy. And so whenever I think about you, I think about you with joy because you are partnered in the gospel that what seems to come to Paul is the most important thing that's going on in Philippi is that they care really deeply about the word of Jesus. And so he's filled with joy because of that. So we jump to the next verse, verse 12. I'm going to pause and then we'll go on to 13 and 14. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So, this actually provides a little bit of context to why this letter was written. Because what's happened is Paul has, is writing this letter from prison. He's been t- put in prison or house arrest, most likely in Rome. And so the Philippians have heard that Paul, their dear friend, and the person who started their faith, is in prison. And they're concerned for him. Surprise, surprise. They're concerned and so Paul is wanting to write to them to encourage them and say, hey, you you may have heard that I'm in prison. He was in prison for about two years if this is when we think it was. Hey, I want to write to you so that you don't actually need to worry. And he says right here, what has happened to me that is going to prison? What has happened to me actually has served to advance the gospel. You might be worried, you might be concerned, you might be upset for me, and I appreciate that sentiment. But actually, I can see how me being in prison actually advances the gospel. How? Well, it goes on to tell us. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. There's something about Paul having been imprisoned and the way that he is going about being imprisoned. He didn't ask to be imprisoned. He would love to be out and about doing the things that he does. But he's looking at this circumstance through the lens of Can actually see how this advances the gospel. Because here's what's going on. And while I'm in prison, while I'm in chains, while I am actually in this situation, something about that has led to the other brothers and sisters being emboldened, being given courage, being able to go actually even more boldly and proclaim the gospel without fear. That there's something about the way that Paul goes about being imprisoned that helps them have that sense of courage. He goes on to say this, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of a love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Not sincerely, sorry. Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? Really interesting phrasing that Paul puts here. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. He's actually not worried that some people were preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. Now, from other places and other writings, we see because he has an idea that eventually those people are going to answer to God for that. He is most concerned that Christ is preached. So whether they're doing it because they're emboldened by what's happened to Paul, or whether they're doing it to you know, try and stir the coals and actually poke and prod Paul and go, "Hey, we're out and about. We can preach. You can't." Ha ha. Paul goes, "You know what? I'm so glad that Christ is preached." Because of this, I rejoice. Irrespective of what their motives might be, he's not saying their motives are good. He's not saying that it's a good thing that they have those motives, only that the goal of Christ being preached is what brings him joy. Because that's what he wants to see happen. His capacity to experience joy... Despite circumstances, he doesn't want to be in prison. It comes from knowing the gospel was being preached. What is so clear throughout all of Paul's writings and really throughout the whole of the New Testament, both Paul's greatest desire and Jesus' greatest desire when he walked, was that the gospel was preached. And so it did not matter what else came their way. It didn't matter what they lost. It didn't matter what circumstances happened to them. It didn't matter what happened in their life. When things didn't go to the plan, because we all have the plan, did not matter what happened as long as Christ was being preached. It gave him an incredible sense and a purpose and a viewpoint that it didn't, now, that doesn't mean and we're going to come to this. It doesn't mean that he loved it. It doesn't mean that there was never any pain or difficulty or circumstances. But he could experience joy in all circumstances, as long as Christ is being preached. He goes on to say, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of, Christ, of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. So that, what, that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by my life or death. It's, it's a genuine option. He could end up being killed. He could end up being uh, executed while he is in prison. For to me, to live is Christ. But to die is gain. We'll come to that in a moment. One thing I want to point out here that's clear. He knows that he needs to have courage. You don't need courage if you don't have some fear. You don't need courage if things are going to be easy. I don't need courage to come and sit on this chair. That doesn't take any courage. I can't lose anything. To have courage means that he knows that this is not going to be easy. To say that, I I, eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way ashamed, but that I will have sufficient courage, that that I'll have enough courage to see this through, tells us that he's not flippantly saying this, like, yeah, I'm just going to sort of go to prison, and, you know, I'm just going to really suffer, and it's really going to hurt, and, you know, who knows if I'm going to get out, and maybe I'll die, but I've got joy. He knows that this is going to take courage. But even that doesn't diminish his capacity to experience joy. Because his greatest desire, the thing that gets him up in the morning, the thing that keeps him going to work, the, the thing that keeps him being in the family and different places and things that he's a part of, the, the thing that helps him support his fellow workers is his desire to see Christ preached. So then he introduces this idea that for to me to live is Christ, that the rest of my life, however long I have left, whether it's a week, a month, a year, or 10 years or more, I'm going to live for Christ. And every waking moment and everything that I do is going to be viewed through the lens of how is this helping to see Christ preached. But if not, well actually there's something else. He goes on and says it this way. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. There's a principle that's entailed in this passage here which has kind of gone out of vogue a little bit in the Christian faith. And it's that idea and that understanding that actually this is not our home. Paul says it outright. He says, it would be better by far for me to depart. That means Paul's saying it would actually be better if I died. It would be better for me if I died and went to go be with Jesus. He doesn't have a death wish. This is not a man who's going to go out and actively seek death. He just has an understanding of the Christian principle that eternity is our future. That heaven is our home that the kingdom of God is actually where we will experience the fulfillment of all of our real desires and the things that we actually need. And that while we are here, we have a role to play. That when we decided to follow Jesus, we actually gave up this life. We gave it to Christ and said, Oh, I'm getting, Jesus, I give myself to you every day for the rest of my life is yours to use for your purposes, for your glory. Now, we're still going to have fun. We're still going to enjoy things. We're still going to go on holidays. We're still going to experience those things. But it's an understanding that we're meant to live as being heavenly minded but earthly focused. And the thing that draws us away from Christ so often is when we let the desires of this life take precedence in our hearts and our minds. It's when we let the desires that we want to experience here and the plans that we make for things here, that may not be what turns out that when those desires are taken away from us, we feel that sense of loss and pain. But Paul is wanting to implore followers of Jesus to recognize that this is not our home and we will not experience the fullness of our desires in this life. We have to have a recognition that it's eternity, that it's our heavenly home with Jesus that will actually provide us the impetus and the courage to live in this world as a follower of Jesus. And that we commit this day and every day to living on purpose for Christ. He goes on and says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. Paul uses strong language. But that you will be saved. And that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have, the calling to follow Jesus in this life is actually not an easy calling. It was never intended to be. It was not a call to follow and have life, liberty, and everything going fantastically, and every day is going to be amazing, and nothing goes wrong in your life. That is not the message of the gospel. But the gospel does say that in and through all those things, Christ will be with you. In and through all those things, you can experience and have a sense of purpose and joy. And that ultimately nothing in this life can rob you of the hope of eternity. See, real joy, biblical joy, deep, never-ending joy comes From aligning our desires with kingdom purposes. That the ongoing challenge, once you come to follow Jesus, and so you know, Jesus, I'll give you my life, I want to follow you. The ongoing challenge for the rest of your life is recognizing that the only desires that won't disappoint you are the desires that sit within the kingdom. And that any time we seek after or desire something else, we open ourselves up to the possibility of losing those desires or not achieving those desires or or not being happy because we didn't get the thing that we were living for, the thing that we sought. That, That The kind of joy that comes despite circumstances is the one that is embedded in a life living for God. Another place that sort of talks to this and gives us a sense of how we can have this hope is Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says this. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How is it that Jesus handled the crucifixion? How is it that Jesus lived the life that he lived and went through the death that he went through? There is and was no worse form of death than dying by crucifixion. It is horrendous. And yet the writer of the Hebrews tells us there's a way that Jesus got through this. For the joy set before him. The hope of eternity. The knowledge of what his sacrifice would give. The outcome that came from him giving his life in that way. That's what enabled Jesus to go to the cross. Now, what do we read as, it, as we read up to Jesus coming towards the cross? We see Jesus going and praying fervently and going to God and, and weeping. And, and he felt what this was going to happen. He didn't, get a, he didn't get a free pass because he was God. He wasn't sitting there on the cross going, yeah, you know, just a flesh wound. He felt all of it. But because of the joy set before him, what he desired most, he was able to face anything the enemy threw at him. And the enemy tried. There is a joy that can be experienced despite circumstances. I like this quote from Avery Rimler. Joy is a feeling of good pleasure and happiness that is dependent on who Jesus is rather than on who we are or what is happening around us. Joy is a feeling of good pleasure and happiness that is dependent on who Jesus is rather than on who we are or what is happening around us. This world can challenge you about who you are. It can call you names, whether that's at primary school level or adult level. It can have people come and try and undercut you in your workplace. People might come along and rob you of the thing that you desire most. You might not get the house. You might not get the life. You may not get all those things that you say are, this is who I am, this makes me who I am, this is my identity. All of those things can go, and they do. And many of us have unfortunately experienced those moments in our life where we're just sitting there and we just kind of feel like the pieces were sitting around us. But joy can be experienced even in those moments when we recognize that nothing that happens in this life can touch on what Jesus has done for us. And that as we go about things, Jesus will be with and through you. Even in some of the most horrendous of circumstances. One of the only reasons I can believe in Jesus, I didn't plan this, but I just feel I want to share it. One of the only reasons that I can believe in Jesus is because of this. Because there is way too much toxic stuff in this world. There are way too many stories that I hear of the darkness of what some people experience. There is way too much negativity and just sheer horror that some people go through. And when I hear some of those stories, you can't hear those stories and not be a little bit like, is there a God? And I'm taken back to the cross. It's the only way that I can actually reconcile is the reality that actually it's not about what it's... There's not one more story that's going to come my way and because I hear that story, you know what? That's it. I can't believe anymore. I know that there are way more stories than I dare to ever hear of what's not right with the world. But the person of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection, the certainty that I can hold them with, it doesn't matter what happens in my life. I can have a joy that is dependent outside of my circumstances. So, how did Paul experience this? How do we experience this? What does this look like with legs on? Paul was ruthlessly focused on living for the kingdom. Following Jesus was not his side hustle, it wasn't the thing that he fit into his calendar. It wasn't the thing that he kind of made work amongst all the other challenges that he faced in life. It was the reason he woke up in the morning. And everything that he did was viewed through the lens of his faith in Christ. And every job opportunity that he took and every activity that he took part in and all the different places, all the different groups that he might have been in was all viewed through the lens of the cross of Christ and that is our calling that's one of the, one of the hardest things about living our lives in our in a contemporary culture it's probably not just contemporary i think this has always been the battle it's just different in our culture it's ensuring that the thing that we most desire is Christ cuz i can tell you not every day that i wake up is that my greatest desire this is not something that just happens I have to make choices that demonstrate that as being my desire. I will desire other things. Absolutely, things come across and I go, oh man, wouldn't it be great to have that? And I could start to make life choices that would make that a reality. But they would diminish my capacity to follow Jesus. They're not part of my story. And so it's making sure that our heart's desire is Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I think there's there's very few things that we actually can't have as part of our story. We can still enjoy, I mean, this is not a call to some kind of masochist sort of lifestyle of you know, just every day just throwing away everything and living in a hut and uh, never going away and never enjoying family and never enjoying being part of social clubs. And that is not what this is calling us to. It's not what Paul did. But it's making sure that everything about our life is viewed through the lens of Christ. And that ultimately what we're living for is to see the gospel shared. I'm not going to go out tomorrow and everywhere I go and every person I come across and say, do you know Jesus? That doesn't work in case you wanted to go try that. That sends Christians for the hills. That is not what we're saying. So please don't go, James said that we all had to go and tell everybody we saw, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Uh, please no. But it does mean that every day in some way We consider our actions and our choices and the things that make it onto our calendar, the things that we say yes to, the things we say no to, the balance that we have, that all of them are viewed through the lens of living for the gospel of Christ. Because this life is not our eternity. And if what we're desiring most is to have the most amazing life here, we will miss it in eternity. We must be eternity-focused, heaven-focused, and then work out what does that look like in an earthly context. How do I live that out? Now, our last song that we're going to have in a moment is, Good Lord, I Need You. So in a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to go into that song. I'm just going to encourage you as you sit there. I'd love you to think for yourself. where is Jesus prodding you today? And for each of us, it'll be a different place. Maybe it's a specific thing that's going on that you kind of feel Jesus saying, is that actually what is good for you? Maybe it's a relationship that actually needs some repairing. Maybe it's some choices or some circumstances that there needs to be something happening there. Or maybe you're actually sitting there today and this is a real encouragement for you because you've actually been doing some really deep work to make this real in your life. Whatever it might be, take this time as the song plays in a moment. Listen into the words, let them penetrate deeply. If you're going to experience the fullness of joy in this life, it needs to be dependent on the person of Jesus, not your circumstances. Your circumstances can and will rob you of worldly joy. Nothing can take away from the person of Jesus. And if that is your center, you can do anything. You can face any challenge. You can face any circumstance. You can be like Paul and find yourself imprisoned. You can find those things that you want taken away from you, but still have that rock-hard understanding who Jesus is in your life and that will help you get through anything that comes your way let's pray Father we pray for that kind of joy not a pithy happiness that comes because of getting something that we wanted not just that sense of happiness that comes because circumstances line up well but the joy that gets us through those times that break us. A sense of purpose and person that sit with us in our darkest moments. Help us to find that joy. The kind of joy that Paul spoke about. And as we journey through the rest of this book of Philippians, Lord. May you challenge some of our presuppositions about what joy even looks like and the story that maybe the world tells us about how to experience joy. We thank you for all that you did for us on the cross and the hope that that brings. We pray this in Jesus.